Welcome to This is 65, an interview show featuring inspiring stories from accomplished professionals. I am your host, Erin Ackenheil, and this is brought to you by Blackpoint Insurance, where we help Medicare beneficiaries learn about the A, B, C's, and D's of Medicare, and we help agents and brokers nationwide learn to launch, grow, and retain their businesses. Let's get this show started. Hello, and welcome to This is 65. My name is Erin Ackenheil, and this is brought to you by Blackpoint Insurance. At Blackpoint, we help Medicare beneficiaries nationwide learn about the A, B, C's, and D's of Medicare, and we help agents and brokers learn to launch, grow, and retain their businesses. Through that process, we meet some incredible individuals, entrepreneurs, side hustlers, authors, people from all walks of life doing interesting and inspiring things that we love to bring their stories right to you. Today's guest is an incredible human. Uh, He's been through a lot in his life. Uh, He's an author. He wrote um, Ways of Life, A Grateful Man's Journey. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about the book here today, as will Jim. And he's had a long career, 40 years in technology, and really just has a mission through his writing, his blogging, and everything about him to help people lead better, more fulfilling lives. Uh, he's got three kids, five grandkids, just an com- incredible human being. I'm so glad to know him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome author Jim Hamilton. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, sorry to correct you right up. I just <laughs> had my sixth grandchild. So, so, Oh, my goodness. Congratulations, boy or girl. Uh, a boy. And uh, he's oh, doing great. And uh, oh. we're going to go out to... Uh, Las Vegas in a couple of weeks and meet him. So it's oh, going to be con- Congratulations. I love it. So, well, that keeps you busy aside from writing and uh, enjoying time with your wife, Dora, six grandkids. That'll uh, keep you out of trouble, Jim. I like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, Jim, just about your background and your story. Um, tell me a little bit how you just got started and how this journey began. Uh, well, it, I, I started in uh, 1955 in Palo Alto, <laughs> California. Uh, my parents uh, were uh, both uh, Stanford grads, and my grandfather was a professor at Stanford. And uh, so we grew up in this little town called Palo Alto, and, uh, which was quite different in the 50s and 60s than the Palo Alto you go through and see today. Trust me. 100%. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it was straight out of Leave it to Beaver uh, Mayfield. Uh, and uh, it, it was an incredible childhood uh, growing up there. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, my mentors while I was growing up uh, was uh, my older brother, Tom, who was uh, kind of my hero growing up. And I was also a, a swimmer. And I had a, a, a guy that named George French, who uh, if anybody hears from the peninsula and uh, grew up swimming, you know who George is. And uh, he was uh, an awesome guy. So it was, uh, it was really kind of a, a perfect childhood. And uh, I lived to tell about it. Well, tell me a little bit about your brothers, Jim. So I know you're the youngest of three boys, right? And quite a bit younger than the older brothers, right? And tell me just a little bit about your shenanigans growing up. I mean, it sounds like 
you're understating a little bit what a big role model Tom was in your life. So tell us a little bit more about that, those relationships that you had. Yeah, we were uh, uh, three boys. Uh, all of us were uh, athletes as we grew up. Uh, Tom was a very good athlete, was a high school All-American football player at Palo Alto High School. Uh, we all went to Palo Alto High School, as did my mother. Uh, she went to Palo Alto <laughs> High School. And nobody's, uh, nobody's spreading too far from the tree branch here. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and my uh, next oldest brother, uh, Brody, uh, was a football player and a gymnast. And uh, my parents were very, very busy keeping up with all of uh, our athletics. And of course, I was supposed to, as I entered high school, uh, was told by all the coaches, well, your brothers were great football players. You have to be a football player. And I had to explain to them, sorry, I'm a swimmer. Yeah, there's nothing exactly. quite diff more different from a football player than a swimmer. Uh, so, but it, uh, you know, we all grew up, uh, again, idyllic childhood and, uh, I, uh, we were all athletes, but, uh, pursued a little bit different route, each one of us. Right. No, gotcha. Well, and you definitely have a lot of achievements under your belt. I know, you know, when you describe your childhood, it's like that leave it to beaver stereotypical, just really great, happy family. And there's so many stories that I've read that you share just of all your great experiences with the family. But I know when you're at a pretty young age, that took a big turn and something happened with Tom. And I just thought maybe you could share with everybody what happened and, and how that had a, such a huge impact on your life. Yeah, it, it did. And uh, I, I, I recall uh, laying on the couch in uh, our home in Palo Alto and getting a call from uh, Stanford Hospital. I had to answer the phone and, uh, and I asked for my dad and they, uh, my dad's face went blank <coughs> as he talked on the phone and uh, they had to go to the hospital. My uh, oldest brother, Tom, had been in a car accident. Uh, he, he died as a result of injuries in the car accident. He was 21. I was 13. And uh, he was kind of uh, kind of my hero. And uh, uh, he was also uh, a uh, had become a swim coach, an assistant swim coach. And he had been a big influence in me not pursuing football, but pursuing swimming because he said, you know, you're good. You're going to be better. Got to keep doing it, kid. And I followed his instructions. Unfortunately, excuse me. <clears throat> Unfortunately, at 13, uh, he left us. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like growing up at the time you did, and it's not uncommon with a lot of families, it's like in the marks of such a huge tragedy. I think there's instinctively everybody's dealing with their grief and it's kind of not talking about it, pushing it under the rug and just moving on and keeping a stiff upper lip and so forth. And I think that that had an impact on you. And so how did, how did you deal with that? What did you throw yourself into to just kind of deal with that pain and, and progress? Yeah, we, we really did kind of hide it as it turns out. Uh, and it, I mentioned it in the book, um, at age 21, my mom's brother had also passed away and his name was Tom. <coughs> so it was very difficult for them uh, to get through that. 
And so rather than try to grieve, I threw myself into my swimming and my schoolwork. Right. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I'm just taking another cough drop here. I don't I, I I'm going to give you a pause moment, Jim. Drink some water while you're pausing to tell us that story. I just wanted to mention that we are in a live show here and we're getting lots of feedback. People are saying hello. Congrats on the grandchild uh, that you're just incredible. So hello to everybody out there. Say hi to Jim. Uh, give him a like, give him a love, um, you know, pick up, go online right now while you're waiting and to amazon.com and pick up Waves of Life, A Great No Man's Journey. We both have copies of it here and I really enjoyed the book. I highly recommend it. It's not too thick. It was a great vacation read for me in February when I was on vacation with my family and it was something I could pick up and put down and really just connected with the stories and the experiences. And even though no two experiences are the same, the types of feelings and emotions that that brings out, Jim really captures it and he's humorous and just makes a great story and I really enjoyed it. So just really wanna make sure that I pass that on everybody, amazon.com or your local bookstore, uh, pick it up. So Thank Jim, you. are you adequately recovered as I did our <laughs> promo? <laughs> I think so, I think so. I think right. it's uh, uh, gone away. So where were we? We were talking yeah. about the swimming, right? Because you pretty much threw yourself into swimming. And I think you're understating. I mean, you had quite the career in swimming. So can you share some of your successes and, you know, yeah, how I this had, overachiever thing kind of took over in terms of swimming in the schoolwork? Yeah, I I, I just dove into that. And uh, uh, I grew up uh, swimming uh, for a group called Ladera Oaks. And again, that's where George French was. Uh a lot of us uh, ended up going on to swim in college. Uh, one of the names that you might remember, John Neighbor, who, uh, if you remember the 76 Olympics, won a number of gold medals there. Now you probably know him more for his work at the Rose Bowl, uh, where he is uh, one of the commentators. But uh, John and I still connect and uh, a great guy. But the group of people that we had, which is phenomenal, but it was really phenomenal because George French was not only a coach, but he was also, in some cases, uh, kind of a second father. Uh, you're growing up, all of you that have kids that swim or any other competitive sports, uh, you know, you're swimming four hours a day and you're just around these people all the time. And it was a terrific way to grow up and it was uh, a great dedication. I learned a lot about discipline and all of that. And then, boom, uh, I had signed my scholarship to go to UCLA. Life was going to get, I you know, decided not to go to Stanford so I could get away from Palo Alto and start a new life. And everything was going great. And they found out that I had a bad heart. And so uh, a few weeks after signing my scholarship, I... Uh, had to call up the coach at UCLA and let him know, coach, I can't swim anymore. Uh, and I wave, no, wave number two, like a ton of bricks. <laughs> right? So um, now talk about how you dealt with that, right? Because I think you did it in a combination of ways, right? You did some, you had some destructive behaviors for sure that I'm sure you're going to share. And at the same time, though, you seem to always keep your sense of humor, cheering on your friends and being so supportive. So tell me a little bit about that time when swimming became not a big factor of your life. 
Yeah, I, I, I worked off my scholarship by being an assistant coach at UCLA, and that, that was very helpful. Uh, somehow, I uh, escaped UCLA with a degree. And I say <laughs> somehow because without swimming, I turned to some other activities uh, to uh, entertain myself. And they involve drugs and a lot of alcohol. And uh, I, again, how I graduated, I'm not sure. But uh, for about the next 10 years of my life, I, uh, I still was able to, I got into high tech and I, I was employed and all of that. But I was still feeling the pain from both the loss of my brother and also the loss of uh, what I considered to be my identification. Uh, and uh, I, I turned to drugs and uh, I, was, uh, in, I was very good at swimming and I was very good at drugs. Right. You know, I just feel like it's not unusual, you know, when you're in that sort of formative young adulthood, if you don't have something to hang on to a clear direction, it's easy to fall into some of those traps. And um, that's really challenging. Was that a really lonely time for you? I mean, was it isolating? How did you cope with that? It, it, it was. And for a good part of that, I was married. Uh, and I'll just kind of tell it right up front. My first marriage, I was married. I had some, I had kids. And uh, at that same time, I was very lonely because nobody knew the pain. <laughs> and I, I hid it uh, from a lot of people. And finally, uh, I was going along and it kept getting worse and worse. And I almost, uh, those of you in Los Angeles know uh, the 405 freeway. I tried to make a, a four lane merge uh, 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 under the influence, almost killed myself, but didn't get somehow didn't get pulled over. But that's when I finally sought help and uh, went in and uh, told somebody, you got to help me. You got to help me today. And uh, this is when you get very spiritual because it is amazing how things aligned. And I got connected with a great therapist uh, down in Southern California. And uh, about 37 years ago, uh, at age 29, I had my last drink. And uh, that was kind of the, uh, the next phase of my life where uh, I started to grow up and find out, uh, catch up on who Jim Hamilton is. Right. Find out who's the real Jim Hamilton under all of that, right? Exactly. So here you are, 29 years old, making a major life change, and you have three young children at that point. And I know growing up, the kids spent a lot of time with you, right, living with you in their early years. Um, tell me a little bit about your time as super dad, right? Because I really enjoyed that part of your, your book when you talked about, you know, just what it was like with the kids and the negotiations with your older daughter and all those kinds of things. Tell me a little bit about that part of your life. Yeah. So I, I had to learn a lot because uh, when uh, after a couple of years, the kids were staying with me most of the time. And uh, so I was still I was coaching. I was coaching soccer at the time. And I would come home and uh, I would literally uh, prepare the dinners for the week by barbecuing every Sunday and preparing 
And so that everything was organized and all this kind of stuff. And the kids Military were, precision, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything was planned, sorted out and all of this. And finally, the kids came up and uh, my daughter, who was the oldest, was uh, elected uh, spokesperson, asked, <laughs> uh, Dad, we appreciate everything that you do and all of that. But is it possible that maybe one day a week we can have pizza? <laughs> And money was tight and all of that. And I realized after listening to what she did, it's a great sales pitch. <laughs> I realized, you know, I, I may be a little being a little too tight with the money here. And maybe <laughs> I ought to start loosening up a little bit. But uh, it was uh, they were growing up and so was their dad. And uh, right. I was learning what it was like to be a parent. And uh, so it was, uh, it, you know, if you... Uh, be quiet a little bit. You can find a, learn an awful lot from your kids. Absolutely. They're usually much more insightful than uh, their older counterparts, right? So exactly. what, a, what a great experience. Well, before we come, kind of move on, we're getting a lot more comments. People are telling you, congrats. Grandkids are the best. People loved your, net, your sixth grandkid, Jim, and really nice work. Everybody, please continue to give Jim a thumbs up. Ask a question if you'd like. Please take this opportunity to let us know in the chat box how much you're enjoying the show. And we'll just keep on moving here, Jim. So, you know, at this point, you're working for Cisco, you're uh, raising these kids. At some point along the way, you met your soulmate. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, Miss Dora Hamilton. How did you guys meet and how did that love story begin? So Dora and I were... Uh... We worked at the same company, a uh, company called Rome, which was a telecom company. And <clears throat> she moved on. And uh, she also uh, became single. And uh, somebody introduced uh, us now as being a couple of single people and took us out to lunch. <laughs> and uh, I'll just tell you. Uh-oh, a hookup happening. Uh-oh. <laughs> So we go to lunch and we're at this beautiful place and all of this. And it's a little bit awkward because we know each other, but we both know why we're there is because this gal is going to introduce us as, you know, maybe you two should uh, get together. And uh, we're uh, at a, a sushi place and Dora wasn't very uh, adept or knowledgeable about sushi or anything like that. And she saw this big hunk of wasabi. <laughs> Those of you that are not familiar with sushi, wasabi is a very spicy, uh, uh, I, I guess you'd call it, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but it, 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 you attach it, you put it on uh, your sushi and it adds a little spice to it. Well, Dora took a big hunk of it and I said, Dora, be careful. And I wasn't trying to tell her what to do, but I said, be very careful. That's a big <laughs> hunk of wasabi. She puts it right in, she goes, I like it hot. <laughs> it right into her mouth and it immediately face turns red. It looked like one of those cartoons where you see everything going off and off. So we, it took about 20 minutes for them to get all the water and milk and everything to cool off. <laughs> but uh, to say the least, I was smitten <laughs> that uh, somebody would uh, <laughs> say that to me. And also had the guts to get through wasabi like that. So 
Uh, well, my, my big question, Jim, has she ever had a hunk of wasabi since? <laughs> never that large. Uh, but uh, yes, sushi is a big part of our life and uh, always will be. Uh, but uh, no, we uh, uh, since then, uh, <coughs> we've been uh, uh, together. It took us a while. We took it slow because uh, there's always some interesting things that happen when uh, a new parent comes into an existing family. And right. uh, she was very sensitized to that. And uh, we were, uh, you know, being very, very careful not to force it on the kids. And, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's turned out, we've been together, it's turned out okay. How many years together now? Well, we've uh, coming up on 25 years of marriage, uh, closer to about 30 years of being together. Wow, that's incredible. And so here your life takes a turn and you meet your soulmate. Things are on the right track. Is that when you started writing? Yeah, actually, uh, I was still pretty heavily involved with all my work at Cisco. And then uh, as my kids started getting older, I realized that, you know, maybe I should share with them just how I view the world. And, and I viewed it in terms of relationships. And I wrote my first book, you know, totally out of the blue, uh, called It's All About Her, A Man-to-Man's -Man's Guide to Marital Bliss. And with a little sense of humor, I tried to share with people, this is the way I view, and I'm not an expert, this is the way I view how to have a positive relationship. And uh, I take it all the way from, how do you get along? How do you keep the, the spark going to how do you buy flowers? How do you buy clothes for one another? I'm picking uh, that up from my husband immediately after this uh, call. <laughs> I haven't read that one yet, but sounds good. <laughs> and it also, as I shared with you, and I'm just going to do it again, this was also an opportunity for Dora's lips to get copyrighted. Uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, she uh, uh, is very proud of that. And now I'm going to pay for that because she's going to say, you actually said that. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> good. That's a, you know, that's a good one to pay for. It's fine. So. But, but it, it really came down to me wanting to share with people what I had found. And I am I an expert? Do I know everything? Absolutely not. But I'm very fortunate and I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've also made a lot of good moves, not the least of which was marrying Dora. So, sounds like one of the best. So really, really good move there, Jim. Tell Dora I'm like, good, good going there. So, so Jim, when I think about your story so far, when you're talking about going through life, you hit two major waves, right? The, the death of your brother, I mean, huge impact on your entire family. Then you throw yourself into swimming, you have the influences of your coach to help support you, and then you kind of lose swimming and have to work off your scholarship and, and turn to drinking, second big wave, uh, really hits you hard like a ton of bricks. And then you meet Dora and life is good. You're writing, you're sharing your experiences, uh, things are going really, really well and you're successful in your career. And then boom, wave number three, right? You had another huge hit. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened and when and how that had an impact on your life? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it had a, I say, a rather major impact. I was uh, sitting in the uh, family room. Uh, I don't know what I was watching on the tube, just finishing up dinner. And <clears throat> I lost motor control 
of uh, my left arm on my left leg. They just started raising up in the air out of control. And I had known enough. I had had a, a mini stroke about five years before. And I it looked up and I, I knew what to expect if I ever had a stroke. And so uh, I told Dora, uh, call 911, send somebody over. I think I'm having a stroke. Well, that turned into uh, uh, not a fiasco, but it was, uh, let's say, a long night. And uh, ended up uh, over at Eden Hospital here in Northern California, which was a stroke center. And uh, I uh, had indeed had a stroke. And uh, it wasn't severe, but it was enough to uh, make me somewhat clueless as to what was going on around me and uh, a few physical issues uh, that were taking place with my body. Uh, however, and this is, uh, this is why I am the luckiest guy on the face of the earth, okay, is that uh, while I'm in being treated for the stroke, they do a full examination and they found out that I had three brain aneurysms. The three brain aneurysms, two of which required uh, operations, one of which was about a 15-hour operation at Stanford. But had I not had the stroke, they wouldn't have found out about the brain aneurysms. And not finding out about a brain aneurysm is, it's just a time bomb. Definitely. You know, when, when could it occur? And so, uh, Everybody was shocked, everybody. And I was just kind of, one, I was recovering from the stroke. <clears throat> but two, I was just looking at it and saying, wow, I'm damn lucky. Right. And I started realizing, and as I was recovering from the stroke, I started realizing how truly lucky I was. And that was why I started to write Waves of Life because I thought it was time for me to share with everybody, hey, you can have some bumps in the road, but if you look at each one of them and realize what you've learned from your past experiences and apply them to your new experiences, it's amazing how you can overcome them. And I started to realize, hey, I've overcome uh, you know, issues of grief and other things that I've gone through alcoholism, drug abuse, other things. And now somebody's telling me, yeah, you had a stroke, you got some brain issues, get to work. It's time to get to work and clean up and, and get better. And uh, it took a while, but all of those things that I learned in my teens and 20s and 30s, I was able to apply in my 60s to come out. And uh, I... You know, it's I know I'm being repetitive, but I am the luckiest guy you're ever going to talk to on your show because I, everything is phenomenal. Right. Well, it's I think it's a rare situation, Jim, when a stroke is a blessing in disguise. Right. So identified a, a much worse illness. And it just seems like for most people, this could have been sort of a backbreaking wave, you know, in terms of the stroke and the recovery and could have even lapsed. And you actually became stronger from this and you were seems like you were just pulling from all those life experiences and just realizing how fortunate you were and um, moving forward in a positive way. So I just don't know how, how do you think is the secret for you staying so positive, Jim? If you were to say, what's the secret sauce? What is it? I, I think the secret sauce for me was that <clears throat> emotionally I changed after my stroke. 
I got calmer. I wasn't as, excuse the phrase, cocky. Uh, I wasn't as pushy. And uh, I also, I listened more. And I was far more empathetic to people. It is amazing how much more popular you get when you assume that kind of persona than when you're trying to direct people or you're trying to do that. When you kick back and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, God gave you two ears and one mouth. When you use them in those proportions, they'll both serve you well. And when I realized listening was far more important than speaking, it was incredible how uh, much I absorbed. And also I found that I learned a lot from people and I could identify people. And I live in a senior community now here at Trilogy and I can identify somebody that might be walking along and I can tell they may have had a stroke or some other thing. And I can walk up to them and say, how you doing? And in 10 minutes, they're starting to tell me their life story where they might not be able to tell that to other people because they're afraid to expose themselves for having a speech problem or not being able to remember things or think, well, guess what? We're all that way. It's okay. And if you're patient with people, it's amazing how much you can learn from them. Such an inspiration, Jim. So when you think about your books, particularly Waves of Life, A Grateful Man's Journey, if you were to kind of define to young people who are reading your book, because I feel like this is a book really targeted in a role model fashion for people going through it, right? You know, so people can read this and enjoy it at any age, but I also think you're a real role model, especially for young males who are going through these life changes. And if there was one message that you're trying to get across to your readers, what would that be? Uh, hmm. Well, there's a lot of them, but I, I guess that the, the only key, one. No, it's okay. You can do more than one. <laughs> the key, I, I would say, and it's going to be in three parts. Okay, <clears throat> it is win, win, win. And what I mean by that is identify in every situation, in every challenge that you're in in your family life, your marital life, just life. Identify. <clears throat> how you can find a win for you. And at the same time, the second win is the win for her or him, your partner. How do you ensure that you've got the win, but it's only a win for you if your partner also has the win? And what does that equal? If you do it right, it means that you three, the two of you have a win together. So your relationship is a win. So those are the win, win, win situations that I talk about in the book. And that's really, you know, you can, if you only get one of those right, you aren't winning. Okay. Right. You know, and, it, and it's somewhat selfish. And it's really easy for an old guy like me to say this, right? It took, <laughs> it took me until, like I said, I was in my 60s to come to grips with being uh, what I would call a real winner in that in that context. But that's what I would suggest to people that are looking and they're struggling with their life and they may not be in a relationship. Don't rush it. Just seek the win. And when you find it, grab onto it, hold on to it and make it everything you can.
Incredible. So inspiring. Jim, is it, you know, you talk about you're in your 60s and I feel like I've known a lot of men and women in their 60s, 70s who have never made those changes, are still living in or increasing in depression and and really falling deeper into a hole, right? And obviously mm -hmm. you're the opposite of that story. Is it ever too late to make a change? Absolutely not. And I think you knew the answer to that before you asked the question. Uh, I wanted to hear it from you, Jim. <laughs> it, it is never too late and it is never too late to start. And it can be, it could be substance abuse. Okay. And I don't just mean alcohol. It could be uh, uh, any kind of drug usage. You could be too far into that. And people say, well, God, I've been doing it and it's in my 60s. Come on, you know, why change? Well, listen, I'm uh, approaching 70 and uh, I'm not planning on having a drink soon. OK, and there's it is amazing how, you know, maybe it's only going to be 10 or 15 more years or 20 more years of life. But those can be the best 10, 15, 20 years you can have. And you can have them if your mind is clear. Right. And you give yourself a chance to do that. And it's uh, I think a lot of us have problem admitting that we're flawed. We know it, but we don't want to admit it to other people. And I am so flawed. I am so botched up. However, I am very self-aware and I work hard at something all the time to just saying, let's get a little bit better. Let's just get a little bit better. And I'm not saying you change your life completely, but just change one thing. And that can be the beginning of saying, wow, that I was able to do that. Maybe I should try something bigger. And it's amazing, a few changes. And yeah, maybe you've been married for 30, 40 years. Maybe that can even get better. So I know I'm, I'm starting to sound like I'm preaching here. I apologize. I'm preach, just saying, preach, Jim, preach. <laughs> I'm just saying, go for it, folks. Life right. is too short not to. Right. And I think what you really emphasize, Jim, is just progress, not perfection. You're such an inspiration. Everybody is commenting. So inspirational. Nice work. Wasabi is hot. <laughs> oh, good, good. So tell me, Jim, where do people pick up a copy <coughs> of Waves of Life, A Grateful Man's Journey? Where's the best place to get this? Uh, you, you can get it in uh, on Amazon. Uh, you can get the written version. You can get the audio version, which was quite an interesting experience with somebody that has some sight issues and a little bit of a stammer, <coughs> normally not a cough. <laughs> uh, uh, you can get the audio version of the book and is also available in Kindle. You can also order it from any bookstore. If they don't have it, you can get it from any bookstore. They have access to it as well. Fantastic. And Jim, you just mentioned before we got on live today that you are going to be doing like a local roadshow event coming up. Can you tell us about that in your local area? Yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, here in Brentwood, California, not the O.J. Simpson Brentwood of Southern California. <laughs> this is Northern California. No white Bronco territory. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Next Sunday, uh, there is a. Uh, uh, a group of about seven or eight, I think, uh, authors that will be in a variety of different restaurants and stores uh, and will be doing 30-minute sessions 
where I think it starts at one o'clock and goes until four, where you come in and uh, listen to us talk about the book, ask questions, maybe want to buy a book, get a signed copy. Do it. Get a signed copy. And uh, it's just a great uh, effort on the part of the community here to uh, bring it to uh, people's attention. Here are some of the local artists. And uh, it's, uh, I'm thrilled and honored to be part of it. Fantastic. So, well, go meet Jim in person, shake his hand, grab his book. Jim, it's incredible to have you on the show today. Uh, you and Dora are just great people. And I'm so glad that you've built this happy, successful life together. And just want to encourage everybody, pick it up, go to amazon.com. And Jim, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, really appreciate you. Have a great one. Thanks so much for having me and go out there and take care of each other. Thank you, everybody. Good inspiration. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to This is 65. Please subscribe to the Black Point Insurance YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And you can follow me, Erin Ackenheil, on LinkedIn and Facebook. See you next time.